Welcome to BFC Live, the daily video and podcast series of Business of Cannabis. BFC Live highlights the companies, brands, people, and trends driving the global cannabis sector. Find out all that we do at businessofcannabis.com. Coming up on today's BFC Live, we connect with Denny Gertler from the Can Delta team. He's going to talk through what to expect from cannabis retail compliance as things move forward in Ontario specifically. This is Denny Gertler from the Can Delta team. Denny Gertler, thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Jay. Um, I wanted to have you on, or we wanted to have you on, because I feel like, and I want to get your sense, that we are entering, I don't know, feels like a new era on a couple of different fronts. One, we have like a thousand stores in Ontario, cannabis stores in Ontario, which I think is great. And, you know, people are finding it easier and easier to access legal cannabis. I think that's all for the better. And we're coming out of COVID, which I also think is great. But it's not like when we went in where there was only a few stores, now we're going out and there's tons. What does that mean from a regulatory perspective, from your perspective? And then we'll get into sort of a deep dive as you've put it together. Well, Jay, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I've had the same feeling myself. I've watched stores pop up in my neighborhood. Obviously, I do this for a living, so I'm tracking this daily. Uh, We are definitely entering a new phase, and not just because of the... uh, shift in COVID or the, uh, the, the relaxing of, of uh, rules around that. Um, it's a new industry. You know, it's only been legal for a few years. Uh, and there's been a huge effort uh, in Ontario and other provinces, but uh, particularly Ontario, I think, to increase the number of stores. Now, the government has made a decision to follow a free market model. That means there is going to be some churn and some disruption and consolidation and so forth before things settle down. Uh, it's also worth noting that, you know, while uh, the GTA in Toronto particularly are getting a lot of attention, uh, it's a real cluster or concentration of stores in, in that area. There are other parts of the province that don't have nearly the same amount of coverage. And when you consider that the uh, one of the, the key uh, objectives of the federal legislation was to reduce access to illicit cannabis. And the only way you're going to do that is to increase access to legal cannabis. And that's exactly what provinces, especially Ontario, I think, and places like Alberta and to lesser extent, BC are trying to do. Yeah, I think so too. And I want to, because because I know you've, you've, you've put in some really good thought to this. Um, you have a presentation for us? I do. Great. It's a kind of a warm-up to actually a webinar that's uh, that we're uh, co-sponsoring on July 15th. We actually have the Director of Regulatory Compliance, Jeremy Locke, at the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, joining us for that. And he's going to be answering questions that anyone can pitch to him. Uh, we already have a bunch flooding in. So I don't I want to steal it. his thunder, but I, I do want to uh, set that conversation up a bit in this uh, interview today. Great, great, and I'll put a link about how folks can find you and Cove on that front. Okay, thanks. So Jay, just to provide a bit of context because not all uh, the viewers may know this or may have forgotten, there are actually two regulators in every province. In Ontario, obviously you have Health Canada and you also have the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, otherwise known as the AGCO. The Ontario Cannabis Store is not a regulator and it's not regulated by the AGCO. Now, Health Canada develops and oversees the overall uh, 
cannabis regulatory framework, which includes advertising and promotion. And Ontario uh, has charge over the cannabis retail framework for sales and distribution of cannabis. Uh, and in that capacity, it also oversees advertising and promotion and has its own set of requirements that are complementary to, but not identical <laughs> to the uh, Health Canada uh, requirements. So when you have a store open in Ontario, you're most likely to be encountering AGCO staff who are there to enforce the registrar standards under the Cannabis License Act and Regulation 468.18. We've also heard, as you, I think you alluded, that Ontario is set to open a thousand stores by September, this September. And they could open, it's speculation is as many as 1500 stores eventually. Now, so far, the AGCO has really been focusing its compliance on opening these stores, which makes a lot of sense, right? So there's two types of inspections. If you're opening a store, there's a long chain of requirements. Um, the pre-authorization inspection and the pre-opening inspection figure prominently in that, that process. And now we're getting for those thousand stores that are open to the very last uh, bubble, which is the post-opening compliance activities. And, and that's, I think, uh, what people are, are curious about and should be concerned about going forward. Now, the pre-authorization inspection, you know, is really there to determine uh, the eligibility and whether the store is ready to open, order, receive, and secure cannabis products. And there's a whole host of things the inspectors check. They check to see that you're surveillance system is operating, that there's secured access to this secured storage area. Uh, stores you know, have a licensed retail manager or, or retailer operator and so forth. There's a, a whole host of things. And those inspections are you know, almost collegial in tone, really. They're, they're educational in intent. Obviously, they're checking to see that uh, the progress of a, uh, a future retailer, but they're establishing a relationship and it, it's worth noting that the AGCO places a lot of emphasis on that relationship. It's a bit like liquor. So when I was at the AGCO as a deputy registrar, I sat in on, on, um, on meetings that looked at liquor infractions. And there was a, an inspector who patrolled a particular area and got to know the, the liquor licensees in that area. It's, it's very much the same thing with cannabis. The pre-opening inspection, which is really the last major hurdle for, uh, for a store to open, you know, looks at things like proper signage, internal or external, uh, making sure there are no other businesses operating at the store, that staff are at least 19 years of age, uh, and that they have adequate measures to prevent access by minors, among other things. So that's what compliance has looked like in Ontario so far. Now, I'm not talking about the feds here yet. Now, going forward, you know, there are going to be three regulatory touch points. And again, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't want to steal Jeremy's thunder. But the AGCO has a mystery shopping program. And um, our intel is that a number of uh, recently opened cannabis retailers have been told by the AGCO that they're going to be sending mystery shoppers in. And, and these will be people who look like they could be underage, right? And you won't know who they are. 
they're going to come in and try and access the store and buy the product. It's not unlike uh, the program that the province has uh, for convenience stores selling tobacco to underage uh, mm -hmm. persons, so very similar. Regulatory inspections, which is that last bubble on that, on that uh, chart, um, and that diagram that we showed earlier. And, you know, I'm not going to talk about that because that's really the focus of, of Jeremy's discussion, but there'll be typically the same people that you worked with in opening the store. And now a third thing, which actually I think is really interesting, are compliance audits. So when I was at the AGCO, one of my duties was to, was, uh, I was in charge of the, the audit department. And it, it was mostly focused on, on gambling at the time. Uh, we did a bit of work in some other areas. Audit now covers everything that the AGCO does. And so it's really an interesting question as to what that's going to look like. They're gonna use a risk-based compliance audit type of approach. I imagine they'll pay um, strong attention to inventory and, and record keeping and those kinds of things. But let's wait to see what Jeremy has to say on that topic. Now, typically uh, the AGCO follows a, a, a progressive compliance approach very similar, if not identical, to other areas within its jurisdiction. They always prefer education, uh, and that's for a good reason. Obviously, if, if um, the store owner is going to do the compliance for them, that's the best outcome. They'd rather have a harmonious relationship, uh, and that when they come, believe it or not, they actually prefer if there are no issues. I know that's maybe not uh, people's view of what regulators do, but, you know, uh, regulators have a, a joint uh, interest along with the operator in a smooth business relationship. Um, and this gets back to public interest issues, which I'll talk about in a minute. Now, if there is a problem, uh, there might be a verbal warning or, or notice uh, and then progresses down the, the line to written warnings and monetary penalties and so forth. And all the way down to the possibility of a license revocation um, which doesn't really make anyone happy, but you know, if there is somebody who needs to close, the AGCO will do that. They have done that in the case of, uh, of liquor licensees. And I think over the long run, uh, that could happen with cannabis as well. Now, going forward, what, what is Ontario's new normal? So Jay, this is somewhat speculative. Okay. Uh, you know, we don't know what the frequency of compliance visits is going to be. It's, I think it's going to vary by territory and by risk assessment. Uh, the AGCO talks about a risk-based approach, but the role of individual inspectors is quite huge here, uh, and they will have their own sense of the risk. So, for example, if they are visiting your store and they persistently see that you haven't followed their advice about something that needs correcting, that'll increase your risk rating. And that could well trigger more frequent visits. So liquor operates very much like that too. Uh, there are some licensees who don't see the inspector all that often because they're, they're operating really well. They have the, they've gained some trust. Uh, the inspector has a sense that they're, they're, uh, their business is under control, that they understand the, the requirements under the registrar standards and so forth. The same thing I think with cannabis. Now the public interest, this is an interesting one because 
you know, uh, what is the public interest? And in the, in the case of the AGCO, they talk about, um, you know, safe, responsible and lawful sale, uh, honesty, integrity, and, and working in the public interest. But it's somewhat of an opaque concept. Um, I think in one of our previous interviews, I talked about that some of the differences between Health Canada and the AGCO. And, from, and this is informal, this is my own opinion, but I, when I was there, I, it always felt to me that the agency was doing its best to try and balance uh, the stewardship of an industry and making sure it was, everyone was working on a level playing field and observing the law and protecting the public. So, you know, in the gambling world, that means making sure that uh, there aren't uh, irresponsible gambling practices and people uh, gambling who have a problem, you know. And so in the case of, of liquor, it's making sure that the, the premise is under control, that there aren't, you know, fist fights breaking out because people are overserved, uh, that minors are, are gaining access and so forth. And it's with cannabis, I think uh, minors uh, access by minors to the to the premise is also going to be a big part of the public interest. So it's a balance between the needs of the industry in a broad sense and the needs of the public uh, under the Cannabis Act, really. So the federal government really has specified uh, the key objectives there, and the province will have the same objectives. Then there's the issue around. Um, you know, how is it going to move through a progressive approach? It's impossible really to know that. Uh, you know, and I suspect that uh, the, the concentration of cannabis retailers in a given area might have an effect on that, uh, especially if they're complaining about each other and, and that leads to increased frequency, which it could. Um, we know that, there, for example, that uh, Health Canada is increasing getting more and more complaints from other businesses. And I presume that's federal licensees as well as uh, provincial ones. But apparently in 2020, the number doubled to almost 200 complaints from just under 100, according to Matt Lammers, who I was corresponding with uh, on the weekend. And so that could play a factor as well. Uh, and so if you're moving, if you have more enforcement activity, then it only stands to reason that, you know, some of those stores are gonna move through that, that progressive process that we talked about. Then there's a matter of consistency across Ontario. Inspectors are human beings. Uh, they're all a bit different. Um, you know, Some of them are going to be responding or interpreting, especially in the early days. So there may be, at least in the early days, some uh, inconsistency or it may appear to be such. Maybe it's deserved because some areas are riskier. We don't know that yet. Then of course, there's uh, something I hear about all the time from our clients is the enforcement overlap with Health Canada regarding advertising and promotion, particularly inducements, which could include discounts, loyalty programs, endorsements, free samples, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so, you know, this doesn't surprise me either. Uh, we don't really know always what Health Canada is up to. Uh, the agency tends to be, from my uh, perspective, a bit opaque at times. Now they do issue uh, guidance letters and, and uh, interpretations online. Uh, they're known to hold occasionally uh, phone calls with licensees. 
who they presume are not, or who they detect may not be following uh, their laws properly. But it's inconsistent. Uh, they don't publish on a website uh, what's going on with enforcement. So, you know, it's possible, especially in the early days, that they may get into the act with a retailer as well. So you might uh, find yourself dealing with Health Canada as well as the AGCO. I, I mean, I, can I ask a question? Because on that specific front, um, in your view, uh, thinking about the different objectives and perspectives of the AGCO in this case and Health Canada, they may have different views of how promotions and inducements are compliant or not. Would they potentially? Uh, and and um, we've even seen some provinces, I don't know, get dinged, but like some provincial wholesalers or people that sell directly to uh, consumers like the Ontario Cannabis Store or Cannabis New Brunswick actually in conflict with what Health Canada is saying, I think. So like, like, it's one thing to say, these are the rules, now stick to them. It's another thing when it's sort of amorphous or opaque, as you said. Yeah, that's a real possibility. Um, because, you know, recall in, in some previous interviews we've had, I've said, you know, the devil is in the details and that each situation is unique. There are, there are nuances that apply to the situations. Uh, sometimes, you know, even internally, when we debate at Candelta about specific situations, we're kicking the tires. Not all of us are completely of identical view. Sometimes there are nuances that are important about a given situation. Uh, and I think there's a potential for this to increase in that uh, during COVID, there may have been some uh, you know, retailers taking a bit of uh, higher risk in terms of pushing, you know, let's say the level of discounting or, or how they're uh, promoting, you know, to their public with increased competition. That is like adding, you know, fuel to the fire. <laughs> so, you know, in an effort to do, to stand out, uh, you may have more risk taking, you may also have more complaints within the industry. So all those are things that could prod uh, both regulators to get involved and potentially have different interpretations. Uh, I think it's early days yet, but I'm hoping what will happen is that eventually there'll be more dialogue between the AGCO and Health Canada so that they can sort these things out between them. But, you know, that is far from a given. Yeah, yeah. And you have you have an event coming up. You want to go through the details one more time about COVA and the AGCO? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So on July 15th, uh, we're going to be talking about cannabis retail compliance in more a little more depth than I have here, shared here. Uh, we're especially going to be explaining and busting myths. There are, I think, under the registrar standards, um, it's worth noting that it's not as prescriptive as as some compliance regimes, and the AGCO intentionally is giving businesses some freedom in terms of how it achieves a regulatory outcome, and so. We have the man, Jeremy Locke, they're talking about uh, all of this in great detail, answering questions and busting myths. It's gonna be a great webinar. I hope you join it and it's free of course. So uh, it'll be a perfect segue from uh, my interview today. Great, great. Uh, well, Denny, um, I always appreciate hearing from you because it helps me gain perspective of what's happening uh, on the ground. And I think we'll be talking a lot about this over the coming 
weeks, months, and maybe years as sort of a steady state develops around cannabis retail in Ontario and beyond. Thank you, Jay. I really enjoy these talks between us and I hope people found this informative. Well, I did. I don't care about anybody else, but I certainly did. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thanks, we'll talk soon. Okay, take care. That was Denny Gertler. He is from CanDelta, the official regulatory advisor of Business of Cannabis. If you like this program, please rate and review us wherever you heard your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. It helps support the work we do. We're able to do what we do because of our ongoing partners, including Alterna Savings, Cannabis at Work, Cannabis Benchmarks, CanDelta, Gallagher, Headset, and Torque Mains. Find out all that we do at businessofcannabis.com.